Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Jay, welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project. How are you? Good, Tom. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing too new or exciting to report, but, uh, but doing well, I'd say. Good. Well, hopefully we're on the, um, hopefully we've passed the midpoint and we're making our turnaround back to some semblance of normalcy. Yeah, right on our way to wave two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, the eternal optimist that you are. Yeah. yeah, it's like the roller coaster. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, we're all hunkered down and bunkered in and um, everyone is sharpening their pencil or sharpening the ax, I guess, is what uh, Rockefeller called it, right? That's right. Um, and boy, it seems like we're covering this topic a lot lately, which is just LinkedIn generally, but it's coming up a ton, don't you find? Yeah, uh, it is. And, you know, as evidenced by, I guess, um, we've continued to write about the issue and, and certainly have been asked a lot of questions about it. And usually that's the that's the number one signal for us as to what topics to address, which is what questions we're getting from clients. And, and LinkedIn's been at the top of the agenda for a good time now. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, and you wrote a post recently that sort of inspired today's topic. And the post more generally was, and it's on our, our blog at hcommunications.biz, but your post was LinkedIn for Lawyers, Six Essential Steps to Success. And it covered a variety of LinkedIn-related topics. But there was one in particular that I thought we could hone in on today. Um, because we've covered, since this podcast began and on our blog and our own thought leadership, we've covered you know, almost exclusively content creation and how thought leaders can create content to establish reputations and market positions as thought leaders. But something you touched on your po- in your post that I think bears maybe expansion on and further discussion is content curation. So there's kind of two um, edges to this sword uh, when you're going to battle in LinkedIn. Creation, again, we've covered at length, but why don't we, today we focus on content curation and I thought since you covered it and touched on it in your post, maybe you could just give, in case readers are unfamiliar specifically with what we're referring to when we say content curation, Jay, just give us an overview of what we're talking about when we talk about curating content. Sure. So it's based on the notion that to be a thought leader, you don't need to only create your own content, but you can uh, provide your audience with thought leadership content by curating content that's been created by others and and sharing it with your audience. So it's basically content curation boils down to finding and and gathering or aggregating thought leadership content that is going to be of interest to your audience, but it's not necessarily content or or in this case not content that's been created by you individually. So, you know, that the idea that you're serving sort of in the role of an editor um, as opposed to a writer in this in this capacity. Um, and finding interesting articles, interesting podcasts, videos, whatever those might be, and aggregating them and sharing them. On LinkedIn, it's very easy to do. Um, you know, you you find an interesting article on the Harvard Business Review, for example, and you share that into your LinkedIn feed. Um, ideally, doing so with a bit of commentary from you, the thought leader, in order to add your unique spin or add additional context to the issue. Um, it's not only LinkedIn where you can be a content curator. A lot of there's a lot of great email newsletters, for example, that uh, aggregate and curate content. 
share it out with their audience and, and a lot of blogs or, or even full websites. I mean, if you think about one of the most popular news websites on the internet, the Drudge Report, it's nothing but a content curator or content, content aggregator where it's just linking out to other articles that, that um, you know, are gathered across the internet. So it's, it basically boils down to this notion of, of finding good content, ideally putting your own spin on it and then sharing it with their audience. So there's a tons of examples of this. Um, a few that you know come to mind or that, that I think are really uh, dynamic and interesting. Um, probably my favorite is a website run by a woman named Maria Popova called Brain Pickings, which is a, a really interesting deep dive into an eclectic collection of topics. Um, she basically gathers interesting quotes and interesting ideas from music, poetry, you know, old books, all kinds of different sources. And she kind of ties a, or weaves a thread between all of them to kind of put her unique spin on, on that topic. Um, a little closer to home, there's a, there's an email newsletter called the Pinhawk Law Marketing Brief, which I think is great. Comes out once a week. And it's again, a collection of all kinds of different legal marketing resources that uh, have been created in the, in the week uh, prior to the newsletter coming out. Um, Scott Becker, who we've mentioned on the podcast before and who's an early guest on the, on the podcast, um, he sends out, it's typically, I think, a daily email called the, the C-suite report. Now, Scott's a lawyer, and it's, it's usually 10 bullet points where he is sharing you know, links to articles and, and, and aggregating the content from those articles where kind of just giving a highlight of the business, po political and news landscape for the day for, for his audience. Um, even LinkedIn itself, you know, if you go on to LinkedIn, they will have a trending stories uh, sidebar where they're, the editors of LinkedIn are kind of, again, aggregating and, and sharing a little commentary on some of the top news for the day. So. So what it is, yeah, I mean, it's just a great way when you don't necessarily have the time to be always be creating content, you can sort of find and, and aggregate content from others and, and share it with your audience. So um, that's, that's my take on it. Tom, do you have anything to add to that? Just that if, if listeners didn't listen to our previous episode, which was, uh, I think, the LinkedIn um, 101 to 401, we kind of ran the gamut. Um, you know, we talked about how important it is to fill out your profile and do all the things that send signals to LinkedIn. So LinkedIn knows what's important to you. That is going to feed that algorithm um, relative to trending topics. So if you're, if you like law, are a lawyer, um, talk to lawyers quite a bit, then it's going to serve up trending topic, probably relative to legal issues, not entirely, but, but more so, you know, we, I get a ton of marketing ones, for example, social media trending topics. So yeah, and one other thing I was going to mention is in terms of curation that sometimes gets overlooked is not only going out into the field and finding great content to share, because that's a great example that you shared, but as you're going through your own stream and you're seeing your network offer content, resharing of that content, because not only might you have found a gem that maybe someone in your network has shared and bears repeating to your own network, but it also, um, it, it extends goodwill. So there's been all sorts of scientific studies and who knows how true they are, but the fact that I think they've studied the brain's response to the simple act of getting a like on Facebook or LinkedIn. And there does appear to be a dopamine release in the brain when somebody sees interaction with their content, either a like or a comment or a share. 
And so if you're paying that forward to the people in your network who you're ultimately trying to influence or to gain favor with, that simply sharing their content and expressing the, uh, an, an approval or an amplification of that content might further a nurture relationship that you're trying to, again, nurture in the real world. So again, you see uh, Scott Becker in your LinkedIn feed and you see something he's shared. Maybe it's just a statement he's made and you, you hit share to that and then you're resharing that with your network can have a ton of value as well. So Tom, we touched on this a bit, but why don't you describe a little bit why this would be an important practice uh, to, imp- to incorporate into your thought leadership program or your thought leadership efforts moving forward? Yeah, so th- three things. Uh, one you already touched on, so I'll just cover it quickly. One is the time savings. So it's obviously much quicker to sh- find a piece of content that's already been created and share it with your network. Um, to establish yourself as, again, as a thought leader. So time savings is one, but more importantly, I think, is going back to the whole notion of when you're trying to establish yourself as a thought leader, you used a good analogy a moment ago that you're serving in the role of editor almost. But I have maybe a more esoteric analogy. And I think of thought leaders as the Sherpa on the mountain who is guiding followers to a pathway of some sort that they wouldn't get to on their own. And a good thought leader is that guide and that leader. And so when you're creating content, you are providing that guidance. A good Sherpa might also um, share stories of others that have come before. And I feel like that's curation. So you're not only showing the way, you're demonstrating through other people's prior work or existing work. And that just establishes yourself as a bona fide thought leader, not somebody who can just opine on topics, but somebody who follows topics and um, has a uh, finger on the pulse of what's happening in a given industry. I think that's just as important to demonstrate thought leadership as it is to share your own personal subject matter expertise. And then the last thing, the last reason I, I think that it makes sense to share other people's content is absent that. So if, if you are an active participant on LinkedIn, say, and you're constantly creating content and sharing it, you're, it's you know, it becomes a one person show and tell potentially you run the risk of just looking like the person that only is peddling wares, trying to gain attention for themselves and not truly adding value to the network that you're trying to, you know, uh, influence and, and, and have conversations with. And it just looks like the look at me, look at, look at me show. When you're sharing third party content, there's really, nothing demonstrable in it for you other than you're truly adding value. And I, so I think that just sort of softens what could potentially be, you know, a hero party on LinkedIn if all you're doing is showing your own content. So those are the three things that come to mind. What did I miss, Jay? Not much. Um, I guess I would just say maybe someone, a potential objection uh, that I'll address or address that someone might have to this notion of, sharing other people's content as an important part of being a thought leader is the fact that, you know, maybe someone thinks, well, how, how is that? Isn't, isn't that antithetical to the idea of a thought leader who is, is creating new ideas or creating a, a unique path forward for someone? And, and to that, I would just say that, I mean, it, it, gets, it boils down to the fact that there really are no original ideas. I mean, even if you think about writing a blog post or an article, oftentimes in, in, in almost all cases, you're drawing from other people's ideas and, and essentially a, a good piece of thought leadership content is in a sense a curated piece of content where again, you're, you may be linking to other people's work, um, building upon it, 
uh, kind of sharing your unique take on on those ideas, but um, it's just another form of of writing, really. And uh, and so I'd say that that's another reason why you know if you if you have a, a sense that maybe that's not part of thought leadership, it, it really is because it's all, all ideas. There are no original ideas anymore, as the as the saying goes. And um, this is just a, a recognition of that and a way to create more content more quickly. Yeah, and if you were to run into a true, a real life person who had that maybe objection, and I have, by the way, so I, I, I think you're speaking truth here, is possibly a way to address that is say, well, then don't just share content you agree with then. Maybe take a piece of content and offer a contrarian point of view. So now you're not just an echo chamber. You're seeing what's out there. Again, you have the finger on the pulse of the industry. So you see what people are saying. And if you're afraid that you're just regurgitating somebody else's content, take a build on it or take a contrary point of view. And I think that, again, that is what thought leaders do. So um, it doesn't mean you need to disagree with everything, but, you know, pepper everything you do with your own personal perspectives. And I think that that then can forestall some of that maybe objection. Why would I share other people's content? You're not just hitting copy and paste. You're, you're finding something, you're offering your own slant or perspective on it, and you're sharing true value with your with your network. And I do think that's what thought leaders do. So this is an interesting question though. So let's say, how, how does no one, how does one know what to share? So you could do this all day, right? You can find stuff all day and just keep hitting share, 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 share. I don't think we're advocating that either. So what's the mix? Where do you find the content? What kind of advice would you give for someone who thought, you know, maybe this is just dawning on someone that, yeah, all I've been doing is sharing my own content. I better, start sprinkling some third-party content in. Yeah. Well, first I'd say, uh, you know, think about your audience, right? What is the, what is the audience you're trying to create? What is the positioning that you have for your practice? Getting back to, you know, how do you, what is the market you're trying to serve? Um, so, you know, you want to filter everything through that probably and, and say, how is this relevant to my audience? So that's kind of a starting point. Um, you know, just one, one to build on a point you made earlier, Tom, about, um, you know, sharing other people's content, uh, you know, I would look for opportunities to share content from those from others in your field. Uh, maybe they're maybe if you're a lawyer practicing in a particular um, and focus on a particular industry, there's probably other professionals that whether they be lawyers or or maybe ideally non-lawyers who are perceived as you know influential thought leaders in that industry. I'd be looking for opportunities to share their content because when you share their content, they may take notice of yours as well. Um, so that's an opportunity to sort of both. Um, network in a in a you know a little bit of an abstract way, but um, you know getting them to take notice of you and your content by by sharing theirs. Um, but kind of getting back to it, I mean, I'd, I'd say that when thinking about what to share, I would I would look at things that are are popular. I, okay, so what is what is the content that is uh, kind of driving the conversation? And and even though it might be widely shared. Um, sharing it into your network and providing your unique take or perspective on it is valuable because you already have there's already plenty of signals that other people are interested in that content so sharing that is okay too and advisable i'd also say to look at the other end of the spectrum as well that um, you know find those nuggets that may be um, interesting and unique but are not on uh, that you might not find on a major platform like a like a blogger uh, you know someone who is you know, sharing interesting things, but doesn't necessarily have a huge platform. 
Um, and you, you know, you can, again, provide a unique take on what they're saying. And then probably finally, what, what is really engaging you? Uh, what are you finding very interesting and, and relevant, um, even if it doesn't meet those uh, characteristics of the content I described before, such as it's not widely popular, but it's engaging to you, which means you can probably provide an interesting take on it when you're sharing it um, as part of your curation. So it, it's something that provokes an interesting thought or perspective from you. Um, again, even if it's not doesn't check all the other boxes would be a good piece of content to, to share into your network. Yeah, and I would bake it into the cookbook too. So actually make it a point to say, whatever you think the right mix is, let's say, you know, out of every four pieces of content that I create and share online, I'm gonna share at least one piece of third-party content. If that forces you into the habit of doing so, I think back to like the early days of social media when, um, you know, I guess I was kind of an early ado uh, early adopter. So think back to a time when maybe only 10% of the professional public was on LinkedIn, if you can remember that. And maybe 1% of the population was on Twitter. Maybe that's what it should be today. Um, but I was in charge of our agency's social media accounts. And I was the content creator and curator. And I knew that I could probably create content all day and just bombard people with it. But I tempered that with this cookbook that I said, I'm only going to share three pieces of my own content and I need to share at least one piece of my own content in that ratio. So for Twitter, it was maybe four tweets a day and for LinkedIn, it was maybe four posts or two posts a week. So you kind of had to calibrate it, but to force myself into the habit and maybe there's a takeaway here for the year 2020 uh, for people who, who need the discipline to do this. I went in and I bookmarked three or four in very niche industry uh, trade journals. And I said, this is where I'm going to find my content. It's going to be ad week, social media marketing today. It's going to be PR news or I'm sorry, PR magazine. And it was those specific trade journals. Cause I know I can always find great content there. So it forced me to go to a place, an industry resource, find content in doing so, by the way, I learned a ton. That's the side benefit of this. I learned so much just by going and consuming this content that I was then going to go reshare that it was an exercise uh, worthwhile just in the physical act of doing it. So maybe there, you know, again, bake it into your cookbook and make it an actual process where you've got maybe three or four very niche trade journals bookmarked, and that's where you're going to go find your content. And then eventually you'll just get into the swing of it. But if you're trying to get into this content creation, you probably won't think to do it unless you make a plan for it. Yeah, I think that's right, Tom. I mean, so basically, that's kind of a, a way to look at this idea of thinking about the appropriate mix of, of curation to uh, creation of content. Because um, so, there is, you know, there are, there are no hard and fast rules here. But, um, you know, someone who, someone who's busy, and most of our listeners are busy professionals, you know, we're, none of us have the luxury of just simply sitting down and, and cranking out, you know, multiple pieces of content every week. Um, but this, this certainly can allow you to remain visible uh, and, and top of mind without, you know, over-investing time that you don't necessarily have in, in always grinding away at the creation of content. Um, any kind of last thoughts on that whole concept of curation to creation, sort of the right mix? Well, sort of, and it's a little off topic, but it came to mind when I'm thinking about cookbook, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's my social media recipe. So, because I do want to, myself anyway, want to um, 
I don't know if water down is the right word, but I want to diversify the, the content mix. So I don't want it to be, I don't know if you follow anyone like this, Jay, either on Twitter or, or LinkedIn, that it's almost like they think they're a radio. So it's all one word, one way broadcasting. It's I posted this and then I won't be on LinkedIn again until I post my next thing. Yeah. And then it, all it feels like is, is another press release factory. And that, that, I don't think that's a genuine personality on, on, on LinkedIn that I'd want to engage with. So Maybe this is a content curation, but what can also sort of diversify the content mix is being active on the network. So this isn't curation specifically, but interacting with your, you know, the people in your stream, the people that you want to meet, giving people comments, liking, sharing their sharing is curation, but just being active outside of just broadcasting. I think too many people just think that this is a broadcasting channel and they're going to wait for everyone to come love their content. And, you know, it takes a special person to achieve that status. I think in the meantime, just you, you need to, to network. Not everyone in a real networking event is on stage and that's for a reason. So the other people need to network in real life and mingle in the crowd. And I think more people should be doing that as well. Yeah. I think, and this is maybe slightly off topic in terms of, you know, what we're talking about here, which is curating and sharing content. But one of the reasons that networking is important is because if you are a content creator in any capacity, um, you want to, you need some means with which to get in front of other content curators, right? Where other, other thought leaders are doing the same thing. And by interacting with them to a greater degree, they, they're going to be more likely to start, curating content that you create and including it in their distribution streams as well. So yeah, to make it a, a two-way street, uh, you definitely need to have a more active presence and, and more active engagement on the platforms, just generally interacting with other people's posts and content. Yep. And maybe a segue into our last subject. I'm curious if you've kind of acquired over the years, any hacks um, that you know of or that you actually use um, to make this easier for people or make it more effective. And just one thing that came to mind personally was this idea of, uh, I'm going to, I don't remember who it was, but I'm going to curate somebody else's idea here. So they called it, you know, consider the laws of chemistry. And it's different to drink a glass of water than it is to chew on an ice cube. And he had to explain it because I'm not that bright. But what he was talking about was you might watch a video, right? It's a piece of thought leadership content in video form. And that might spur all sorts of thoughts that you can go write about. And so the, and you might even embed that video so people have a rep point of reference, but it gives you a, a way to curate other people's content and create original content at the same point. So you watch a two minute video, it spurs a thought that leads to a thousand word blog post, and now you've curated and created at the same time. So you're killed two birds with one stone. Vice versa, or I should say on the other hand, or you know, going from maybe liquid to gas might be, okay, I've, I've read it a thousand word article or 2000 word article on some subject matter expert. Boy, I sure would like to distill that down into a nice little nibble takeaway. Either, either have your art department create an infographic around it, do yourself a 30 second video with just a handheld, uh, uh, you know, your iPhone or your smartphone camera. In so you, the idea of the chemistry being convert the forms, right? And that allows you to find easy ways to, curate content, create your own and share both at the same time. I think that's a, a good way of looking at it. So that's, that's one of the hacks I have. I don't know if that's a hack, but. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I have any great hacks. I mean, there's no, I don't know if there's any, you know, there's no silver bullets here. It's really just a matter of figuring out how you can, you can capture good content that 
provokes a, a thought maybe that you you want to identify for for sharing later um, and and having the ability to do that now i'm i'm probably the worst person in the world to talk to this about because with this i'm I, I do it i'm not particularly organized i wish i was better at it but i have too many open tabs on my computer i have uh, too many post-it notes stuck on my desk. I have little scribbles in my journal. Um, I send emails to myself, but I, I'm always thinking about this issue of content creation and things I read in a book or articles I read online or ideas that uh, I, you know, I listen to on a podcast that that provoke or or engage me to think about some some piece of content that I want to create or share. Um, I'm not. I'm not great about having one database to store all that information in, but I, but I do, you know, I do make sure I capture as much as possible. A better practice would certainly be like having a, a dedicated Google doc where you're dropping this information into. And I aspire to that, but the bigger, uh, the bigger notion or the bigger practice or principle here is that, you know, having this be top of mind so that when you are moving through your day and consuming content, that you have a place to drop these ideas because if you don't, they'll be fleeting and gone. Yeah. So here's a low tech hack for you that maybe our listeners can, can put into place too is this will sound pretty basic, but have someone do it for you for the curation, right? So you're, you're the thought leader. So the thought leader has a unique ability to identify in, uh, what the, the, the subject matter is or should be and offer perspective on it. The thought leader doesn't have to understand how, tweet deck works or buffer or schedule posts on Facebook or any of that stuff. So if you can either, you know, outsource it to a third party or an assistant and it should be over time, eventually as easy as you find an article shooting an email and it just says for Twitter. And then that person should understand that I need to create a tweet out of this, put it in some format for the thought leader to approve or disapprove or edit or whatever and make it easy. That way you can then Jay close, the 30 tabs and get back to your, your day, which most attorneys need to do, right? They can't have 30 tabs up and 20 sticky notes. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty low tech, but you know, and there's high tech versions of that too, by the way, there's all sorts of third party apps and stuff that, you know, I I don't know how much I personally can vouch for them because I don't think a, let me just backtrack a little bit. I don't think that the whole um, process of thought leadership should be handed off to an assistant because then your true thought leadership voice just t- tends to get diluted from somebody who's not a thought leader executing the program for you. And same goes for technology. So these, these, these apps that allow you to with a single button tweet, LinkedIn, Facebook post, and Instagram, one thing over four networks to me, doesn't make sense. Those are four different audiences. They're four different. They all have their own sort of vernaculars and vocabularies. I wouldn't recommend that, but there are some ways to make this easier. So I don't know, Jay. I'm not. I'm not uh, applying for the job. <laughs> well, well. I mean, and, and of course, the, uh, the 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 interesting thing here is that these are the very things we do for our clients. But I know this is a cobbler's kid situation. Yes, where, right. Um, I am. I'm not following the rules, but that's oftentimes the case, right? Where well, it's because you're busy. Yeah, we're busy doing it for clients, <laughs> and then uh, right, exactly. Our our sons have no shoes. Yep, exactly. So, all right. Well, you want to wrap up there, Tom? Yeah, I think that's good. Um, but we'll link to your post because I think your post obviously it, it covers much more than curation. Um, and we have been covering LinkedIn quite a bit. So we'll link to a few of the other programs, a few of the other blog posts in our show notes and people can listen to that or find that stuff at the thethoughtleadershipproject.com. But I think that's it. I think we uh, offered some some things for people to think about. I do recommend that they, again, bake it into the recipe somehow, find some curation opportunities. And 
I'll just turn it over to you for any final thoughts, Jay. I think that sums it up, Tom. So I, uh, I think we can wrap there. But uh, thanks for your insights, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, All right. Join us next week. See you then. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com. 